0: Well, good morning. It's a joy to, to be with you and to have the opportunity to, to bring God's word. And just as, as Jeremy just prayed, it, it is a privilege that we have his word. You know, I'm, I'm struck by God's word, that the same word that brought creation into being, the same word that, that even now upholds the universe, We get to hear from his word. I am freshly aware that as a messenger of that word, I I am weak, but his word is powerful. His word is not weak. That is a a comfort this morning. So we're going to be in Habakkuk, Habakkuk 2. We have started this series probably nine months ago. Um. I've said before, my, my, but my goal as I work through these series is just to try to stretch them out to make my series longer than, than Ben's. <laughs> so we're probably going to be a year in Habakkuk. Um, so Habakkuk 2, before I read the text, let me just try to take two minutes and bring us up to speed uh, where we're at because we're dropping in right in the middle of a, of a minor prophet, somewhat challenging challenging book. So let me try to bring you up to speed of what we've seen in the first chapter, uh, Habakkuk is structured a little bit different than other prophecies. It's, it's structured as a dialogue between the prophet Habakkuk and, and God. And it's primarily addressing uh, the, the lament, the complaint that Habakkuk sees, uh, that he has as he looks around. You know, primarily addressing two questions how long and why. In Habakkuk 1, Uh, Verses 2 through 4, you see Habakkuk's first complaint. He's looking around, seeing evil, wickedness within the people of God, seemingly going unpunished, looking like God is just idly sitting by doing nothing. And yet God responds in verses 5 through 11. And even just that, the fact that God responds is just a grace in and of itself. But in 5 through 11, you see this response. And and the Lord tells Habakkuk, I, I am doing something. If I told you what I was doing, you wouldn't, you wouldn't believe what I was doing. But then he goes on to tell him. And he's right. Habakkuk doesn't believe what the Lord is doing. He, he can't imagine this is how the Lord is carrying out his plan. God's first response in, in 5 through 11, you, you see it tells us and it shows us that he's not overlooking evil. Evil will be dealt with but yet he doesn't operate according to our time frame. He doesn't operate according to our plan. He he explains to Habakkuk that he's he's raising up the Chaldeans, he's raising up the Babylonians, a wicked nation, and he's raising them up to bring judgment against his people. And he's right, Habakkuk, he, he can't see how that is in the Lord's plan, how that is a good plan. And Habakkuk's response in verses 12 through the first verse in chapter two, Habakkuk questions how a holy God, a God with, with pure eyes who cannot look on evil, how can this be the plan? With what he knows to be true of God, he looks around and it doesn't make sense. So that brings us to chapter two. And just to remind you, this prophecy was written around 2,600 years ago. And those two questions of, of how long And why are are so prevalent in our minds today? It reminds us that that God's word is eternal, eternally true, eternally relevant. I mean, don't, don't you resonate with those two questions? How long will you allow all of this to last? How long will this storm in my life go on? Will it ever end? Are you going to do anything about it? And secondly, why are you doing it this way? Or why aren't you doing anything? Lord, how long and why? That's what we see in Habakkuk. Second reminder before we read the text, and then we will read the text. I just want to give you my, my goal through this study. I have no hidden agenda. I want to convince you of this truth. God's purposes for all that he does are always good. His actions are always holy. And he's worthy to be trusted even when we don't understand his purposes or his timing. Or to simplify it, God is good, God is holy, and we can trust him. God is good, he's holy, and we can trust him. I have prayed, I continue praying, that our church would be marked by an unshakable confidence in the Lord's goodness. So with that, let's Let's read Habakkuk 2. I'm going to start in verse 2. We're going to focus more on 6 through 20. Uh, we've looked a little bit at the last time, through um, 2 through 5. But I'm going to read the whole section. This is the whole response of the Lord. Habakkuk 2, verse 2 through 20. And the Lord answered me, write the vision, make it plain on tablets, so he may run who reads it. For still the vision awaits at the appointed point of time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him. But the righteous shall live by his faith. Moreover, wine is a traitor, an arrogant man who is never at rest. His greed is as wide as Sheol, Like death, he is never enough. He gathers for himself all nations and collects as his own all peoples. Shall now all these take up their taunt against him with scoffing and riddles for him and say, Woe to him who heaps up what is not his own. For how long? And loads himself with pledges. Will not your debtors suddenly arise and those awake who will make you tremble? Then you will be spoiled for them because you have plundered many nations All the remnant of the people shall plunder you for the blood of man and violence to the earth, to cities and all who dwell in them. Woe to him who gets evil gain for his house, to set his nest on high, to be safe from the reach of harm. You have devised shame for your house by cutting off many peoples. You have forfeited your life, for the stone will cry out from the wall and the beam from the woodwork respond. Woe to him who builds a town with blood and founds a city on iniquity. Behold, is it not from the Lord of hosts that people's labor merely for fire and nations weary themselves for nothing? For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Woe to him who makes his neighbors drink. You pour out your wrath and make them drunk in order to gaze at their nakedness. You will have your fill of shame instead of glory. Drink yourself and show your uncircumcision. The cup in the Lord's right hand will come around to you, and utter shame will come upon your glory. The violence done to Lebanon will overwhelm you, as will the destruction of the beast that terrified them. For the blood of man and violence to the earth, to cities and all who dwell in them. What prophet is an idol when its maker has shaped it? A metal image, a teacher of lies. For its maker trusts in his own creation when he makes speechless idols. Woe to him who says to a wooden thing, Awake, to a silent stone, Arise. Can this teach? Behold, it is overlaid with gold and silver, and there is no breath at all in it. But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. Let's pray one more time briefly before we look at this passage. Heavenly Father, we thank you, as Jeremy prayed, for your word, the truth of it, the eternal truth of your word, and Lord, I pray now that we would hear you speak clearly. Lord, I pray that I would not be an obstacle to us hearing you speak, but that I would simply be a means by which we hear from you. Would we conform our lives to your word for the glory of your name and for the joy of our hearts? Would you use your word to to shape us more into the image of your son for your name's sake? It's in his name we pray. Amen. So, we recently saw, as a family, we recently saw the new uh, Mario movie. And. As the movie neared the end, I, I don't think I'm breaking news here or, or spoiling anything. Mario wins, right? Uh, he, he defeats Bowser. So I, I'm sorry if that's a, a spoiler. But um, a, as we neared the end of that, as we neared where, where Mario was going to be victorious, the, the, the crowd, everyone in the theater cheered, started clapping. Have you ever had that where, where you're at a theater, the whole movie, it, it looks like the bad guys are going to win? But right near the end, good guys finally escape. The bad guys finally get caught. Entire audience starts clapping, cheering. It's kind of weird, right, when it happens in a theater. I, just to be honest, it's a little strange. But I think it points to a much deeper, silly example, much deeper reality that embedded in each of us is just a simply, simply a desire for good over evil. We, we long for justice. We long for evil to be done away with. Or maybe, maybe you're like one of my sons who, who at the end of that movie said, oh man, I wanted Bowser to win. How come the bad guy never wins? The, the bad guy never wins because in, in the heart of, of all humans is a de- desire for justice. As beings created in the image of God, we have a desire for, for all evil, for injustice to be squashed, to be done away with. Habakkuk has, has provided a helpful guide in navigating this this yearning, this crying out for justice. Evil seemingly prevailing, going unpunished, unnoticed. And we see in our passage this morning the celebration of justice. Celebration of by by taunting and scoffing against the Babylonians. You know, similar to the cheering in the movie theater, we, we see nations coming together to cheer the judgment against the Babylonians. And so, as we consider God's judgment of the Babylonians, I want to consider three aspects of justice from this passage. I want us to see the the certainty of justice, the scope of justice, and the comfort of justice. Those three aspects, the certainty, the scope, and the comfort of justice. So, we'll start with the certainty of justice. You know, this passage shows us that justice is a foregone conclusion. It is a certainty. Justice—the rendering to everyone that which is his due, the right judgment, the proper judgment, the the defense of the righteous, condemnation of the guilty—justice that that will prevail. It may look like evil is going unpunished. It may look like evil is winning, or even that the wicked are prospering. Let me assure you, justice will prevail the Lord assures Habakkuk that justice will prevail. Perfect justice from the Lord will prevail. Evil cannot escape judgment. And this passage shows three three reasons why justice is certain. So first point, certainty of justice, three reasons why we see that justice is certain. First one, sin necessarily requires the wrath of God. So first reason that that justice is certain as sin necessarily requires the wrath of God. Second reason, the Lord says so. The Lord says in his word that justice will prevail. And third, his character and his glory is at stake. So we're going to take those one by one as we consider the certainty of justice. I've already said sin cannot simply be overlooked. We, we know from 1 John 3 that sin is lawlessness. right? And as R.C. Sproul has put it, Every sin, no matter how seemingly insignificant, is an act of rebellion against the sovereign God who reigns and rules over us. And as such, is an act of treason against the cosmic king. In other words, sin is cosmic treason. All sin is rebellion against the cosmic king, against a good and holy God. And so we need to see the the significance of sin, the weight of it, we need to see that because it's against a good and holy God, it necessarily requires judgment. It cannot be overlooked. And because it's against the perfect and holy God, it requires the highest and utmost punishment. We've seen this from the fall of man in Genesis 3, that sin has required the righteous judgment from God. And just as pride was at the heart of of Adam and Eve's sin in the garden, so too pride is at the heart of the Babylonian sin. And if we're honest, pride is at the heart of all of our sin. So as we consider the certainty of justice, I want to be clear that it's not just a a Babylonian problem. This isn't just a, a them problem. This is an us problem. We are filled with pride. We're in the same position as the Babylonians, right? We saw the the wickedness of the Babylonian empire outlined in chapter 1. You can go back and read that. It it outlines terrible, dreadful, just wicked things as they conquered nations. But I think it's really summed up in verse 4 of chapter 2. Behold his, or, or Babylonians, the Babylonians' soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him. You see, pride is at the root of their sin as they continually do whatever they want, whenever they want, to whoever they want, for their own gain, for their, for their own profit. You know, in the way that this chapter is structured, this, this pride that's at the root of their sin and then it's outlined or, or unpacked a bit in these five woes that we see in chapter 2. And I'm just going to summarize them for you in, in kind of my own words here. The first one, woe to those who are greedy and dishonest. Woe to those who use exploitation. Woe to those who use violence and bloodshed. Woe to those who use debauchery and humiliation. Woe to those who practice idolatry. You know, all all of those can be traced back to and are at the foundation. It's pride. All all of those actions by the Babylonians, it's, it's for their own gain, selfish gain. And the essence of these five woes is that just as Babylonian, as the Babylonians have done to other nations, the same is coming for them. You will be plundered. You will be removed from your high perch of power. Your efforts in, in victories, in war, will simply be like kindling in a fire. Your perceived moment of glory will be turned to shame. Violence and destruction will overwhelm you, and you will be silent before an all-powerful and holy God. Or we could simply say that justice is certain to come for the Babylonians. You know, As I've already mentioned, it's not simply just a Babylonian problem. It is a, an us problem. It's a universal problem. And so just as justice is certain to come on the Babylonians, it is certain to come on all sinners. The wrath of God will be poured out on those who have rebelled against him, all those who have committed cosmic treason. You know, we see Babylonian... Was defeated in 539 BC. So we saw justice come to them. And that really just serves as a tangible reminder of the final judgment that justice is coming on all people. All sin will be dealt with. Psalm 37 says, But the wicked will perish. The enemies of the Lord are like the glory of the pastures, they vanish. Like smoke, they vanish away. For the Lord loves justice, He will not forsake His saints. They are preserved forever, but the children of the wicked shall be cut off. That's encouraging because evil has an expiration date. It has a final determination date when when wickedness, evil, sin will all be done away with. Justice is certain. The second reason we see that justice is certain is because the Lord says so. He says in his word that justice is coming. He says in his word that it will prevail. Look at verse 16 of chapter 2. It says, you will have your fill of shame instead of glory. Drink yourself and show your uncircumcision. The cup in the Lord's right hand will come around to you and utter shame will come upon your glory. You know, it looks, in Habakkuk's eyes, it looks like the Babylonians are, are prospering. It looks like the Lord is just sitting by silently, not doing anything about it. That will be temporary. We see it's temporary. The Babylonians had their time. I mean, you can go back through history. Every nation had its time and ultimately was defeated. You know, the, the praise of man that they sought, the seemingly unstoppable power, it's all turned to shame. Their glory is done away with. You know, if we bring it down to, to a bit more of a personal level, one thing to talk about the Babylonians, but if we bring it down to a, a bit more of a personal level, it, it may seem right now that, that you're getting away with sin, that you can live however you want, without punishment, with it going seemingly unnoticed. I would urge you, if if you are a believer in Christ and you're in sin, repent today. Turn from the sin and find the joy in your forgiveness in Christ. If you're not a believer, if you're not trusting in Christ, living for yourself, I would urge you to do the same. Repent. Turn from your sin. I would offer a word of warning to you as well. The cup of the Lord's wrath is coming. It is certain. We don't know the day, but it is coming. The day is coming. While you're here, while you have life, while you have breath, turn from your sin. Repent and find forgiveness and deliverance from the coming judgment. Look at verse Verse 3. We've said the day is coming. We said it's, evil is, has an expiration date. It's temporary. Look at uh, verse 3 of chapter 2. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. This vision being the, kind of the unfolding of, of justice, of his coming judgment. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come, it will not delay. You know, justice, it's already scheduled. It has an appointed time. And while that's, that's good news, the difficult part of that verse comes in the second part when it says, if it seems slow, wait for it. You know, Jeremy prayed this as well. Waiting is, is just hard. Waiting is just difficult. Kids, waiting is hard, right? Waiting for your birthday, waiting for... Maybe be a friend to come over. You're looking out the window. When are they going to get here? We just had this, right, Cole? Waiting for a friend to come over. Wait, waiting is hard. Waiting for the end of school. Waiting for vacation. It's constantly just waiting. You're waiting for the next thing, and it's, and it's, it's hard. But we know it's not just hard for kids. It, it's hard for, for us, right, adults. Waiting is hard. Waiting for answers. Waiting for deliverance. Waiting for a particularly difficult season to end. Waiting for adoption. Waiting and wanting to be married. Waiting for kids. Waiting is just hard. Or maybe for adults, it is waiting for a vacation. And that, that, is, hard. that is hard too. Um, but waiting in and of itself is just hard. It's not enjoyable. Consider Abraham. He, he was promised a son through whom God would fulfill his covenant promises. From the time of that promise to the time he held his son, the fulfillment of that promise, he waited 9,125 days. That's a lot of days. That, that's 1,300 weeks, it's 300 months, 25 years. That's a lot of waiting. It's hard. But as hard as it is, it's part of God's plan for Abraham. It's part of God's plan for us. Waiting is part of God's plan. So much of the Christian life is waiting. But let me remind you, we're we're not waiting simply with just wishful thinking for a coming joy or wishful thinking. No, there's a certain outcome. We're waiting with a foregone conclusion. And it's in the waiting that the Lord sanctifies us. He grows us more into the image of his son. It's in the waiting that we are ever aware of our dependence on the Lord. It's in the waiting where our true hope is revealed. It's in the waiting where idols are exposed. It's in the waiting where sin is exposed. It's in the waiting where we demonstrate our faith. It's in the waiting where we are dependent on our brothers and sisters in the church. It's in the waiting where our love for God's word grows. It's in the waiting that we often realize our need for prayer. It's in the waiting that we realize this world does not satisfy. That comes in the waiting. It's in the waiting that our longing for his return grows. And it's in the waiting where we we need to simply rest in the one who has told us to wait. To rest in the one we are waiting for. So I'm going to run through a few verses here. I want to remind you of this one, of whom we're waiting, of who has the authority to appoint the time and the power to bring about justice. Let me remind you. So just listen as I read through this list of verses, and this is just a a small sample. I mean, all through Scripture, we could see this truth. Isaiah 42, 8 through 9. I am the Lord, that is my name. My glory I give to no other nor my praise to carved idols. Behold, the former things have come to pass, and the new things I now declare. Before they spring forth, I tell you of them. Ephesians 1.11, In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Daniel uh, 2.20-21, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and season. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. Psalm 33, 10 through 11. The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He frustrates the plans of the peoples. The counsel of the Lord stands forever, the plans of his heart to all generations. Daniel 4, 34 through 35. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. And he does according to his will among the host of heaven. And among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay his hand or say to him, "What have you done?" Psalm one fifteen three. Our God is in the heavens; He does all that He pleases. Isaiah forty six nine through ten. Remember the former things of old; for I am God, and there is no other. I am God, and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning, and from ancient times things not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will accomplish all my purpose. Psalm one thirty five five six. For I know that the Lord is great and that our Lord is above all gods. Whatever the Lord pleases, he does in heaven and on earth, in the seas and all deeps. Psalm 89, 11. The heavens are yours. The earth also is yours. The world and all that is in it, you have founded them. That's the Lord. That's who has appointed the time of justice. That's who has the... The power to say it. And because of who said it, he can't deny himself. That's the one who has all powerful. That's the one who is perfect in goodness. And that's the one who all powerful, perfect in goodness, yet is near and cares and knows his creation. Justice is certain because he said it will come. Sin requires justice. The Lord has said justice will come and justice is certain because the Lord's glory, his character, is at stake. Look at verse 14. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And again, we're we're still in point one, and this is the longest point, just to the the certainty of justice. Um, And we're looking at the three reasons in this passage why we see the certainty of justice, right? Sin requires it, the Lord has said it will come, and now we're gonna see that his His glory his character is at stake you know verse 14 shows us every inch of this earth will be filled with the glory of the lord don't don't you don't you long for that day you look around like Habakkuk, how long and and why and you get this word of comfort of assurance from the lord there's coming a day all glory or all all the earth will be filled with his glory But in order for that to be true, all competition against that glory must be wiped away, must be dealt with. Pride must be wiped out. Sin must be dealt with. Justice must come. Wrath must be poured out on all rebellion against the glory of God. You see this contrast in in verse 13 where he says, Behold, is it not from the Lord of hosts that peoples labor merely for fire and nations weary themselves for nothing? You know, the, the Babylonians labored their victories, their, their um, the battles, the conquering of many nations. It was for their own name, for their own glory, for their own power. But you see, that, that's labor merely for fire. It's not going to last. Their perceived glory will be replaced by a true and lasting glory. The fact that the glory of the Lord will fill the earth, ensures that all nations, all of us who labor to make a name for ourselves, will amount to nothing. His glory will fill the earth, ensuring that all competition against that glory will be wiped away. Nothing apart from God will last. You know, David says again in Psalm 37, fret not yourself because of evildoers, Be not envious of wrongdoers, for they will soon fade like grass and wither like the green herb. You know, and just as an aside, I mentioned Psalm 37 a couple times. If you struggle with looking around, seeing evil seemingly go unnoticed, unpunished, running rampant, seeing the wicked prosper, I would encourage you. I think you'll be encouraged. I trust you would be encouraged by just spending time in Psalm 37. Read it, study it, meditate on it. It, it. it speaks so much about waiting on the Lord, his certain defeat of the wicked, and the certain victory of the righteous, the fact that he will preserve his people. So just as an aside, Psalm 37. I would encourage you. Um, so not only is his, his glory at stake, as we've seen, but is also his name, his character. We're gonna jump back to chapter one. If you look back at chapter one in verse 12 and 13, in Habakkuk's second complaint, right? So this is following the, the Lord's response that he's gonna raise up the Babylonians to bring judgment against his own people. Habakkuk's response to that is, are you not from everlasting? O Lord, my God, my Holy One you who are of pure eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong. Habakkuk has right doctrine. He, he has right theology, but he can't square that with what he sees around him. He, he, he knows the Lord is from everlasting. He knows the Lord is holy. He knows the Lord cannot look at evil and let it pass by. And in, in his questioning, there is this confidence, there is this faith that because he's holy and pure, he will bring forth justice against all evil. You know, the Lord's character will not allow him to do otherwise. He must act according to who he is. He must act in holiness. He must act in perfect justice. He must act in purity. The Psalmist says in uh, Psalm 89, righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Steadfast love and faithfulness go before you. You, you see his character, who he is, his attributes are the foundation of his justice. They're the foundation of his throne. They're the foundation of his rule. Over and over again throughout scripture, you, you see the Lord acting in accord with his name and with his character and for his name's sake. Over and over, I mean, you could pick out any number of examples. Pharaoh comes to mind, right? He, he says, I've, I've raised you up for this purpose, for my name's sake, that my glory, my power might be known. One of the other clear spots where he talks about this, Isaiah 48, 9 through 11, says, For my name's sake, I defer my anger. For the sake of my praise, I restrain it for you, that I may not cut you off. Behold, I have refined you, but not as silver. I have tried you in the furnace of affliction. For my own sake, for my own sake, I do it. For how should my name be profaned? My glory I will not give to another. The the Lord judges and the Lord saves for the sake of his name and the praise of his glory. He judges and he saves. You see that in in this verse. You see that in Habakkuk. Both judgment and saving come for the sake of his name, for the praise of his glory. And that is good news, brothers and sisters, that he acts for his name's sake. It's not dependent on us. And because he acts for his name's sake, because he acts for his glory, justice will be certain. So we've considered the the certainty of justice. Now let's consider the the scope of justice. How how widespread is the justice of God? We've already touched on this a couple times. so That's why this point will be a bit more brief. Um, The immediate context of our passage highlights the the coming judgment on the Babylonians specifically. But they serve as just a, a pointer to a While that was real, judgment happened, judgment came, 539 B.C. That's just a pointer to a greater and wider manifestation of the Lord's judgment, of his justice. Look again at verse 14. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. You know, we, we really could have just taken this one verse, and from that verse you see the certainty of justice, you see the scope of justice, and you see the comfort of justice in verse 14, Because justice, God's justice, will extend as far as sin extends. And we've already seen sin is a universal problem. So his justice will be seen not just against the Babylonians, but on a universal scale. All people everywhere, including us, have rebelled against this glory. All people everywhere, including us, are deserving of God's wrath. It is not simply the Babylonians who will acknowledge this glory. It it is all of creation. It's similar to Paul's words in, in Philippians 2. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. His glory will cover the earth. Kids, I got another question for you. Is there and this is—it's going to sound like a trick question, not a trick question. Is there any part of the ocean that is not wet? Any part of the ocean not covered with water? No, right? Again, not a trick question. All of the ocean is wet. Right, And that's the illustration we have. As the waters cover the sea, so too God's glory will fill and cover the earth. That provides hope, right? Puts wind in your sails, gives endurance. And so as we've seen that justice is certain, we've seen it's universal. The farthest corner, the most desolate jungle, most isolated island, Will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord, brothers and sisters. You, you can take hold of that. It is certain. You, you can set down the anchor of your hope in that truth. The glory of the Lord will fill the entire cosmos. Look also at how the uh, the passage ends in verse twenty. But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. You see, right before that, Babylon had had crafted these wooden idols that cannot speak. And here we see, in essence, the Lord speaking. The Lord saying, Babylon, you be silent, for I have spoken. You see, justice is coming. And as we've seen throughout this chapter, it continually moves from from this picture of Babylon to the universal scale, to all of earth. We see that again, again, here in verse 20. Let all the earth keep silent before him. All the earth will be silent. You remember Isaiah's vision uh, in Isaiah 6? Isaiah comes before and gets this vision of of the Lord in his temple, in his holy temple. He gets a vision of the holiness of God. What's his response? He's undone. Woe is me. I'm of unclean lips. You see, at the sight of the holiness of God, the glory of God, he's silent. He immediately recognizes his sinfulness. Similar to the example of Job in chapter 40. After the Lord responds to Job, Job says, Behold, I am of small account. What shall I answer you? I lay my hand on my mouth. He's silent before the Almighty God. That that is the right and necessary response before a holy God silence. And that day is coming. All the earth will be silent before the Lord, His glory will fill the earth. all nations, all people, every square inch of the earth will see the glory of the Lord and be silent before him. What what a day that will be. We have seen that justice is certain. We have seen that justice is universal in its scope. In our remaining time, I want to help us see the, the comfort that there is in justice. There's a fair bit of heavy, maybe bad news, that justice is coming. But I want, to see, I, want us to help, I want to help you see, help me see the comfort in that coming justice. You know, throughout the Lord's response in this chapter, you, you get glimpses that point to the gospel. You, you get glimpses that point to this comfort. We see the bad news serving as the backdrop for the beauty of the coming good news. The necessity of, of judgment against sin leaves us in a terrifying position. It it leaves us in need of one who can save us from the wrath. And at the same time, it sets the stage for the coming of our Savior. Seeing the necessary punishment on sin points us forward to the one who will ultimately deliver us. It, It points us forward to our substitute. We deserve the judgment that Babylon received. The judgment that's coming on the rest of the earth, that's what we deserve, but in Jesus. It's not what we receive. And yet, justice is still satisfied. It's not what we get, but justice is still satisfied. These five woes of judgment should be upon our head. We should hear the ridicule, the mockery, the taunting as judgment is poured out against us. We should face the eternal wrath of God for our rebellion against him. But God, being rich in mercy, pours out his wrath on Jesus, his own son, for our sake. Jesus comes as our substitute, bearing the ridicule, the mockery, the taunting, and ultimately the death that we deserve. For sins he did not commit. I think there can often be a a tendency to think that in Jesus, justice is simply overlooked. That's it's not how it works. Justice is not overlooked. Mercy does not remove the need for justice. You see, justice is satisfied so that we can receive mercy. We're saved not by the removal of justice, but by the satisfaction of it. But in the mercy of God that satisfaction, that justice is poured out not on us, but on his son so that we could receive mercy, so that for all who would turn from their sin, recognize they've been in rebellion against God and bow their knee in submission to King Jesus, would receive mercy, not as justice is overlooked, but as it's satisfied in our substitute, in Christ. Here's how Paul puts it in Romans 3 as he kind of pieces those, and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. So you see, through the death of Jesus, God remains both just because sin is paid for, and the justifier because through that payment of Jesus, his people are now declared right before him. So he's both just and justifier. Justice is satisfied so we receive mercy, so we don't have to live in fear of condemnation. So the first comfort of justice is that for those who are in Christ, <clears throat> justice has been satisfied. Second comfort of justice is that as the glory of the Lord fills the earth, as the whole earth is silent before him, all sin will be done away with, all will be made new. As, ju- as Jesus ushers in this, this universal knowledge of his glory, there will be nothing that detracts from that glory Can can you even imagine such a world, what that will be like? A, A world full of his glory, a world not tainted with sin, a world where everywhere you look, all you see, and the only thing you see is the glory and the goodness of God. There will be no more pride, no more greed, no more violence, No more debauchery. No more exploitation. That was more or less the Babylonians, right? That was their five big sins, so to speak. But for us, all that's true, certainly. But there will be no more hurtful words spoken to you or against you. There will be no more gossip. No more broken families or relationships. No more sickness no more disease, no more failing organs, no more aches and pains, no more tears, no more death, no more stress, no more fear, no more anxiety, no more racism, no more financial struggle, no more wars, no more shootings, no more political unrest, no more riots, no more tornadoes or earthquakes, no more abuse, no more selfishness, no more lying, no more disappointment. Everywhere we look, we will see the beauty of the Lord. We will see his glory everywhere. Why? Why is that true? Because justice is certain. Justice is universal. And so as we get small glimpses of the joy or justice, even in a movie theater, right, you see the cry of the human heart for justice. There's coming a day when we have real reason for celebration over the justice that's coming. So let me close with John's vision of this rejoicing of God's people at the sight of justice Once more they cried out, hallelujah. The smoke from her goes up forever and ever. Brothers and sisters, wait with confidence as this day is coming. Hold fast to the hope that we have in our Savior, Jesus Christ. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we do again thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth that's found in the coming of your justice. Thank you for the hope that we have in the coming of your justice. Thank you for the comfort that we have in your son, Jesus, that justice has been satisfied and we have received mercy. Lord, would we hold fast to that hope that we have in Christ for your namesake and for our joy. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. <clears throat> we now have the joy of coming to the table together to celebrate.